Can you turn with me again to Romans chapter 5, where we were reading earlier on? Romans chapter 5. And just with God's word open before us, we'll seek the Lord in prayer before we come to consider his word this evening. Let us all pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, (coughs) we thank thee, Lord, that we can meet before thee this evening to worship and adore thee. And we thank thee, Lord, for the worship that has already happened thus far. Lord, we even think of that lovely hymn we were just after singing. That brings us back to the cross of thine atoning love and thine atoning sacrifice in Calvary. We thank thee, Lord, that it was all for us, Lord, thou didst die. Thou didst die, the just for the unjust. Thou didst die to make men holy, to make men righteous in thy sight. Lord, we thank thee, Lord, for thine atoning death in Calvary. And Lord, we look to thee now, Lord, for thy help as we come to consider thy word. Lord, we need thy help. I pray for thy help, Lord, in preaching thy word. I thank thee, Lord, for the word that thou hast laid on my heart, Lord, for this evening. I pray, dear Lord, thou hast given me help, Lord, to deliver thy message. Lord, this is thy word. This is thy message. So, Lord, may I go forth with thy power. Lord, I need the help of the Holy Spirit. I need the power of God, Lord, to preach thy word with faithfulness and truth. I pray, Lord, for the overfilling of the power of thy Holy Spirit to preach thy word. Pray for thy help and for thy liberty. And for, Lord, for thee to bring all things to my remembrance. And fill my mouth, O God, that I may speak thy words. Speak, Lord, now. Presence thyself with us. In Jesus' name, amen. The letters of the Apostle Paul in which he wrote would have been sent to many of the churches that he had founded or could have been sent to certain individuals such as Timothy and Titus and Philemon. But what makes this letter to the Romans quite unique is the fact that Paul writes this letter to a church he had never visited. He had only heard of the church in Rome. In fact, if you turn over to the first chapter of Romans, you read in the verses 8 to 11, where Paul says, First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request that by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. I believe it's very interesting to note that really the church of Rome made a tremendous impact. Here was a church that was in the middle of this pagan superpower of Rome. This nation that was polytheistic, that that worshipped many, many gods. Yet there was the church of God in Rome taking a stand for God. The gospel would not have been welcomed there. 
there was a greater risk of God's people to be uh, endangering their lives, to be persecuted, to be thrown into the arena to the bloodthirsty lions. But their faithfulness to God was widespreading. When God is at mighty work, it spreads. Whenever you consider the Acts of the Apostles, but Paul, he has never been to the church. We read in them verses that he longs to see them. He longs to be with them, to stand with them in their stand for Christ. Even though he's never seen the work of God there or the people, he loves them. He loves them so that even whenever you read in the first nine, it says there that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Always in my prayers. He seeks nothing less than that the people of God there would be faithful to God and know the blessing of God as they stand for God. In the book of Romans, it covers many of the fundamentals of the gospel. Paul shows forth with great boldness the key teaching, the just shall live by faith. That was the, the phrase that rung throughout the Reformation in the 16th century. Martin Luther, the just shall live by faith. And this is what really the key teaching in Romans is. It brings us back to, the, to Christ and how we can be justified. It is through faith alone, in Christ alone. And thus who... Are just those who are justified and right in God's sight have no goodness or anything within them to please God. They have on them the Lord Jesus Christ in his perfect life, who gives his perfect life freely without money and without price. He shows forth how God is the righteous judge. In chapter 2, in the first 11, we read that there is no respect of persons with God. And why is that? For we read the well-known words in Romans 3.23 that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And God sees us as we are in our sins, hell-deserving and hell-bound. The Apostle Paul, he also destroys the barrier that many like to put up concerning the Jews and the Gentiles. How some would have said that the gospel is just for the Jews. Or some would have said the gospel is just for the Gentiles because the Jews have rejected the gospel. Paul breaks that barrier and he says the gospel is for all to hear. It is an invitation to the whosoever will. It is an invitation to all of us here gathered to come to Christ and to believe in him. It is the gift of God which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he, Paul also shows forth in the first 28 of Romans 3. He says, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. We are made right with God by faith in Christ alone. Not by works of righteousness that we have done. Our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before God. They're not good enough in God's sight. Paul also destroys the argument that perhaps arose was whenever, perhaps maybe whenever Paul was teaching among the Jews that some believed that the likes of Abraham was believed by works, sorry, was saved by works. Even thinking about the work of circumcision. And Paul destroys that argument in the chapter 4 by saying, What saith the scriptures? 
That's a, that's a very key argument. What does the Scripture say? Never mind what others say. What does the Scripture say? The Word of the living God, what does it say? It said that Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. That is what we read in Genesis. He's quoting from the Old Testament Scriptures. And even Abraham believed before even the law of circumcision even came about. But I believe Paul, he lays down these key foundations of the gospel to the church of Rome to clear his conscience, to make it clear that this church was going truly in the right direction, that they knew what they were teaching and what they were trying to present to the Romans. This is certainly, I would believe, would have been uh, the, th- the sort of things Paul would have taught to the people uh, in, this, in churches that he had founded so that they would stick by these foundations and preach this truth alone and not to bring in any other pagan teaching into the church. But this book of Romans, while it deals very much about the importance of salvation and guidance in in it, it gives much uh, counsel in regards to the Christian. We think also about how perhaps there's those Christians even among ourselves, that we can so often lack of, we can have that lack of assurance if we are saved and in the family of God. And Paul brings that well-beloved verse in the chapter 8 and verse 1, that there's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And points out about the truth of the Holy Spirit that indwells the believer and guides them into truth. We read in the verse 16 of that same chapter of the chapter 8, how the Spirit of God beareth witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God, children of God. And Paul expounds further how the Christian is not to be conformed to the world, but transformed, that they are to be holy and acceptable unto God. But I want to bring us back here to the chapter 5. And whenever you look at the first 11 verses of the chapter, we really see how Paul Paul deals with how we are justified through Christ alone. That's how I would summarize them first 11 verses. And then the last remaining verses is really Paul showing forth the amazing grace of God to the believer. But I want us to draw our attention to the first 10 this evening. And I want us to consider this evening particularly how we are saved by Christ's life, saved by his life. And I want us to notice, firstly, how we were first enemies before God. Let us look at the first 10 and read it together. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We were enemies to God. We were enemies to God. And you may question, how can this be so? You may question how you could be an enemy of God, perhaps through your attendance here in this church. You may tell me that you've attended this church for some time, that you've given money into the offering basket, that you've respect with the ministers and with the elders. And you may sing in the open airs and name Christ to others. You may question, how could I be the enemy of God? You might even think back to even Sunday school days, whenever perhaps 
You may be able to recite different Bible verses, recite even the shorter catechism. And you may, brought to, you may bring yourself to question, how could I be an enemy of God whenever I've done, done so much for him? Turn with me, if you please, to the Romans chapter 8 and the verse 5. And the word of God says here, for they, that are with, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. This is really talking about the sinner, but we talk about the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. The first seven there, it says, because the carnal mind is an enmity against God. We're all born in sin, shapened in iniquity. We're born with that sinful nature, that nature that uh, makes us inclined to uh, sin and to do that which is against God and against his word and against his ways. I've already quoted that well-known verse in Romans 3.23 that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us. That excludes nobody and it includes everybody. All have sinned. Whether we are religious, irreligious or brought up religious. All have sinned. This is the bottom line. All of us have sinned. And unless you've came to Jesus and repented and turned from your sins, you are still an enemy to God. And you cannot please him by all that you do and say, unless it is true, genuine repentance from sin and a cleaving on to Christ for salvation alone. Perhaps you may have allowed your love for sin to win you over. You may point the finger and say, well, everybody else is doing this sin. Why will I not just follow along with them? The truth of the matter is, whenever you do that, you're following after the world. And the world is an enmity against God. We read in James 4, verse 4, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. That's a fearful thing to think. That if you're living by the way of the world, if the world has got your heart, that the world is what you are pursuing after, you, in fact, according to the scriptures, are an enemy of the Almighty God, the creator of all things. You are an enemy of God. If you're falling into the world, following into the world, their promotions, whether it be idolizing sport or following after the ball of alcohol, idolizing perhaps different things such as entertainment, using up all your free time into that. You know, can I even just say, even as a side note about the entertainment, that I believe it is the biggest distraction of our day. I can remember uh, in my, whenever I was working in employment and doing joinery, that there was, whenever people finish their day in work, they would have had their dinner. They would have watched their Netflix. And then went to bed. Then get up. Go to work. 
go back home, get their dinner, same cycle over and over. And it grieved my heart because there the devil has truly just gripped their hearts and their minds, distracted them from what is important, distracting them from spiritual things. And whenever you think about the entertainment these days, we think of how sadly how the devil has used it to cause her to really to influence people, to cause them to see that there's no harm in drinking alcohol, to see that there's no harm in giving threats and doing violence. And even the sad reality too is how it has really misrepresented true biblical Christianity. How it really shows forth that really their message really is, is that the Bible isn't what it makes itself out to be. And whenever we think of those things, we must depart from them and tread very carefully on what we allow our influences to be. And of a truth, the devil has blinded the minds of those that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel would shine unto them that believe not. And if ye fall into the ways of the world, ye are an enemy of God. You stand in enmity with God. Ye are in real, serious, eternal danger. You're lost in sin. Even the Apostle Paul at the end of the book in Romans 14, verses 10 to 12, tells us, For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God, so that everyone shall give an account of himself to God. We will all give an account of ourselves to God. I ask the question that Christ asks in Matthew sixteen twenty six For what is a man profited? If he gains the whole world and loses his own soul, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? That is a solemn question. What is a man profited? What are you profited if you follow after the world? And in your death, that appointed time, lost throughout all eternity, what profit is it when you follow after sin? Secondly, I want us to consider also in our text how we are reconciled. Let us look in the first ten once again. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. And just after what we've just after considered, for some of us here, we can relate to the time whenever we knew these truths and it terrified us to think that we were at enmity against God. And I pray that even tonight for those of you that are unsaved that this would even grip your heart of this truth and how we are enemies with God. That it would terrify your heart and soul and cause you to tremble. I remember whenever I was in that position that I terrified. I was terrified. I couldn't sleep at night. I was reached to a stage when I became physically sick over this matter. But verse 10, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And the word reconcile really means to restore. You see, our sins is what separates us from knowing God and enjoying God. Sin is against God and act against God and choose enmity to God. You see, Paul presents that there's the only one way whereby we can be reconciled and restored to God. It is by the death of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, who being the Savior, he is the only way because he was the one who could unlock the chains of sin. He only could let the captive free. He only could take upon himself the sins of his people and live. He only could set the sinner free and make the sinner saved by grace. Whenever you think about it, we in our sinfulness, we who detested, despised, blasphemed God, yet God loved us. He came willingly to save us from our sin. What a wonderful saviour. When we didn't care about God, he cared for us. That's the love of God. The verse 7 reads, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. Really we would rather die for someone that we loved if if we were given the choice We would choose to die for someone that we loved more than someone that we hated. Verse 8, but God. Those are blessed words. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. This is the beauty of the gospel. Christ would have been right if he had chose not not to intervene for our sake, to leave us in our sinfulness, to leave us to condemn and be cast away eternally into hell. But behold the God who intervenes, the God that delivers and the God that really saves from sin. He intervened for us. He came into this world to die an atoning death for us. God commends and shows forth his love through his only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ who lived the perfect life. He was completely righteous in all matters, thought, word, and deed, keeping the law of God. He went to Calvary to be the substitute for the guilty. He took our place and died for us. We are reconciled and restored to Christ through his death. It's because he, he died the, it's because he died the death that we should have died. He died in our place and in our stead, the just for the unjust. On the cross he bore the punishment of our sins, so that upon repentance from sin and believing unto Christ, we would not have to face the wrath of God that we deserve. Christ took on the old stained garment and he gives us his garment of pure righteousness. His perfect life as a free gift so that we can be reconciled and restored unto God. 
he says to you tonight to give me your sin-stained garments. Cast your sins at the Savior's feet that he will give you righteousness, pure righteousness, forgiveness of sins so that you can have peace with God. You can be restored unto God. We do not deserve this righteousness. Neither can we earn it. But God gives it to us freely as a free gift. To the one that would come to him. And call upon the Lord. That is God's grace. God's undeserved favour on us whenever we deserved his wrath. Finally I want us to see. How of a truth we shall be saved by his life. Because we can only be saved by his life. His life which was perfect. Let us look at the first ten where we read. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. There is a certainty of this truth. We shall be saved by his life. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10. And we see here that it is to Christ alone that we must come to. For Paul says in Romans 10 and the verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart Man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Even look in the first 13, where we read, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Dear friend, there must be a desire within your heart to turn from sin, the desire to be saved. When God saves you, he casts your sins away and gives you Christ's perfect life. That which is pleasing alone to God the Father. And that alone which will allow you access into heaven. Perfect righteousness. This is why we are saved by Christ's life alone. There's no other righteousness that can match Christ's righteousness. Whether we be religious or good in behavior, God will not be sympathetic to such things. God has a standard. Moral perfection. Moral excellence. Christ says in Luke 13 verse 3, He makes it clear that only except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Repentance is key. We must repent, that is, Turn away from sin to turn to Christ. Because the only good, the sin, rather, the only thing that sins can do for us is condemn us. Our sins will do us no good, no profit. Our sins will consume us and destroy us eternally in hell. And that is why I would plead to you this evening that you would let go of your sins. No matter how much you love them. What profit will it do you in eternity? 
That is something we need to get a grasp of and to have a look at eternity. Even where will you be in eternity? Whenever you think of, your, of the sinful pursuits perhaps that have gripped your heart and your heart's desire is to live after sin, where is that leading you to? It is leading you to be condemned eternally, under the wrath of God eternally. That is why I point you to none other but Jesus Christ, the Saviour, the one who came into this world to save us. We read in the verse 11 that through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement, and in the margin, the word atonement means reconciliation, that restoration. We receive the atonement, that is, the covering of sin, that covering of sin so as not to be seen. It is through Christ we receive this blessed atonement so that our sins will be blotted out. This is how we can have restoration with God and peace with God. It is through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing greater, there's nobody greater than Christ. We shall be saved by his life. Through Christ's life alone we can be saved. His perfect sinless life. The life which no man can live. The only life on earth that was acceptable in the eyes of God the Father. That reached God's standards of perfection. The standard in which God requires and the standard in which we terribly fall short of. And Christ's death is what appeases and satisfies God's wrath against sin. And Christ's resurrection is what gives us the assurance to know that upon trusting in Christ, trusting in Christ's atoning sacrifice, that even as Christ lives now at the Father's right hand, so we will live with him eternally. As we come to a close, my desire is that you will consider Christ. Consider the life that he lived for us. Consider his atoning sacrifice for us. Like Christ, we're lost. Our sins is what condemns us. That is why the gospel call and command is that you would repent and believe the gospel. Repent. Turn from sin. And cleave and trust in Christ alone for salvation. Trust God will bless that word to our hearts this evening. Can we at the stage turn to our hymn books, in closing to sing together the hymn 345. The hymn 345. Christ has for sin atonement made. What a wonderful saviour. We are redeemed. The price is paid. What a wonderful saviour. Christ has paid the price for sin.
In the cross, he cried out, it is finished. He paid in full the penalty that was due to us. He's a wonderful saviour. He has made atonement for us. The only way in which we can be saved. We'll stand to sing after the introduction.
Heavenly Father, we thank thee, Lord of a truth, that thou art a wonderful Saviour, that thou hast made atonement for us. Lord, we thank thee, Lord, that the only way of salvation is by being saved by his life, his perfect sinless life. We thank thee, Lord, for that sinless life, that life which no man could live. We thank thee, Lord, for thine atoning death, where thou didst bear our sins upon himself and endured the wrath of God for our sakes. And we thank thee, O Lord, that thou art resurrected from the dead as an assurance to know that the sacrifice has been accepted, that, Lord, thou didst truly fulfill thy goal in coming to this earth to save sinners. Lord, we pray that, Lord, thou would save sinners this night. Draw them unto thyself. Take and use all that's been off thyself even tonight for the furtherance of thy honour and for thy glory. And part us now, O God, in thy fear and in thy favour. We ask these things in Jesus' precious, holy and all-worthy name. Amen. <laughs>